Radio is... What? Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Welcome to Rescue Radio. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining us tonight, and we're excited about what the Lord has for us, for all of us, in this opportunity to tell people the truth, tell them about Jesus. Um, as we welcome you, let's first of all introduce ourselves. I am Marjorie Cole, uh, founder of Life Recovery Ministries, Life Recovery Incorporated, and the author of Taking the Devil to Court. Um, I will be hosting your show along with well, I'm Margie's husband, Jerry, Jerry Cole, and I'm going to be a uh, co-host. I'm not necessarily going to be here every week, but I'm going to be well, here pretty often. They call you a roving co-host. Now, what do you do for a living, honey? Well, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a husband and father and grandfather and pastor, and pastor of True Light Church. Okay. Uh, all right. So when we start it, for sure, we'll just have you be the pastor of True Light Church and skip all that other stuff. I, you know, how's that? Okay, it's time to talk straight about the war between God and Satan and what's going on in our souls, the war that's going on in our souls. It's like there's been this battle going on between God and Satan forever since the beginning, since Adam and Eve, and no one seems to understand how that affects their lives. As a, as a matter of fact, Satan is trying to blind us to that fact that he's out there trying to take over our lives, programming us, uh, setting us up, uh, tormenting us, testing us, and we become frustrated. So it's time to understand, t- to tell the truth, to tell it like it is, and that's why we're here. Um, let's begin with a little bit of prayer. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this radio. We thank you for the connections. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us an authority in the spiritual world to the blood of Jesus Christ, to the word of God, to, um, to take your truth as a mandate, to take it, to tell it to the nations. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're asking tonight that your will be done on earth, in and through us, as it's being done and declared in heaven. We ask that you'd secure the perimeters of our time, space, this room, this equipment, our words, our thoughts, our minds, our message, the, the eyes, the ears, the hearts of those who are hearing, that you'd re, you re, open our eyes, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation of your truth. We pray that your spirit would guide, that we would speak as the oracles of God. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary, that bought and paid for our salvation. We thank you for the many people who are tuning in tonight, who are hungry to hear, to know, to understand. I pray that you would quicken them. We bind every spirit of confusion, any spirit that would snatch the revelation of Jesus out of their minds, out of their mouths, out of their hearts. And we forbid the enemy to continue his operation unexposed. We let the light of God's truth and the manifestation of your word, O God, and the sword of your truth and word to separate us from the works of darkness and give us the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. We dedicate this time to you right now. We ask that you will come as our wonderful counselor, as the faithful witness, 
that we would rightly divide your holy word of truth and that you would give us wisdom. You said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. We turn this over to you now, Holy Spirit. You are the one. You're the host of this show. So we ask now that you would guide and direct us in the situations, the questions, um, the discussions in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, we're going to try to take a little time to um, get a look at what the show is going to look like when we get going on it. We're going to, uh, um, we're going to take, give you a summary of the show. Uh, the purpose of Rescue Radio is to teach and equip and encourage uh, believers it's going to get, help us to understand what it means to be delivered, inspired, to discern the truth and these that in the last days do not be deceived. Um, we're going to give, train people up, teach them, um, train them for war, um, understanding the strategies of the enemy. Uh, those are some of the goals and purposes. Uh, the topics will include things, questions, as you participate with us, questions like, why is it so hard to be a Christian? And if I'm, why am I still doing the things I'm trying to quit? And um, is there really a devil? And, and can Christians have demons? And what about my children? And why can't I sleep at night? And who can I trust? And is God mad at me? Just tons of questions that we have come up with, but some of the questions that you yourself are going to be bringing on your Tuesday night um, call in. Uh, this week, we're going to do our own introduction, so we won't be taking any calls this week, but starting next week, we will have live calls. And we're excited about that. Um, other guests are going to be including, included in the show from on a regular basis will be youth leaders and teachers, uh, health and nutrition experts, um, uh, people current on Bible subjects, uh, New Age, uh, Bible history, giants, uh, prophecy, end days. And, of course, you will be awesome as well as you participate with the show and helping others to get through their problems, understand the war and become victorious. Rescue Radio is about not only rescuing, but removing um, the, the, the uh, obstacles, the hindrances, exposing the lies, and bringing us to victory. So um, now that I've kind of said all that, um, what do you say, Jerry? Well, we, uh, you know, there's, um, there's a war going on for our souls, and it's a war. It's, uh, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, of our lives and what's going on on the earth. And uh, we have to recognize that uh, the power of God is in control, ultimate control of everything that's going on. But uh, underneath that, at the time being, there are uh, demonic powers that are busy at work behind the scenes. And a lot of people do not recognize those. Uh, a lot of people don't even want to think in those terms. But we have to recognize that because that is part of the equation to that will explain what's really going on in our uh, in our world. But we're not going to get too political. Um, I think there's been a, there's plenty of talk out there, radio talk uh, about political situations, the world conditions, you know, economies and collapses and global this and green gospel that. We're not here to talk about um, the surface issues. Uh, I don't even pretend to be an expert on them. Honestly, I don't really pay a lot of attention to them. Um, but we're going to be talking about things that are really critical, really important, so that, that grip the soul, things that are necessary to understand in order for us to walk in victory with Jesus Christ. Yeah, there are, are a lot of uh, great uh, uh, broadcasts and, and sources that do deal with a lot of the 
the issues, uh, confronting issues that we, um, you know, as believers in Jesus Christ need to recognize and to deal with in our time. And so uh, we'll, we'll just leave that to those. We bless those that are, that are bringing out the truth that way. But uh, as Marty said, we are working here uh, just with you to uh, look way uh, beyond the surface and into your heart, into your uh, uh, soul and spirit of what, uh, what is going on in your life, and, and then when it's, whatever's going on in your life is, is kind of extended out as to what uh, is going on in our world today. So, you know, um, actually, I don't, I've done a radio show a long time ago, back in 2000. I did it for a couple of months, and it was really fun and interesting. But one of the things that's hard with radio, that, you know, I'm a counselor, and with Life Recovery, I do a lot of counseling, so I see people face-to-face, I can read their body language, and I really watch and look and see to, to sense what's going on as well as just listening with my heart to what God is saying. So radio is kind of a weird thing in that you're, you know, you're, I don't guys off that are excited to hear. We both are. But I thought tonight that we would take some time to journey back and tell you a little bit about, little bit about who we are we come from. You know, um, so, you know, let's begin kind of... Um, do you want me to start, or do you want to start? You go ahead, honey. Well, you started first last time, so you can start first again. This oh, well, thank you very much. Yes, well, um, I was uh, born at a really early age. You yeah, know, that's, an old, that's an old joke. That's most terrible. Most of us are. Yes. So, but anyway, I was, um, you know, uh, born and raised in, in, uh, in a, a small rural community. Um, grew up on a farm and uh, went to church every Sunday. Um, Sunday school and church all through my uh, childhood and high school years and so forth. And then uh, um, got um, off to uh, college and at the time of the Vietnam War and everything was going on. And, you know, the drug, sex, and rock and roll thing was coming in and the hippies and the Beatles and all that stuff. And so got caught up in a lot of that and was very frustrated and empty in in my life. And uh, um, just you know, wasn't even thinking in terms of church, and was thought Christianity was just uh, you know just a lot of hypocrisy. Didn't have anything to do with it. And then, um, but, but wait a second. So you were raised in church and in religion, so to speak, and had no understanding, no interest, no comprehension in God or the things of God. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I believe I did have a desire because there were you know for God there there was uh, there were people. In that community, uh, teachers and so forth had that I know were very godly people, and that had a good influence on me. And there were times where I really wanted to serve God, but I just felt that I would just fail constantly. You know, at one point I had the idea that in order for me to serve God, I had to keep all the Ten Commandments perfectly, and that was impossible. And then I really couldn't have really any fun anymore and any enjoyment in life. So, you know, I was sometimes I was just um, I was dead in the water before I even got started. So this is really the basic problem with a lot of people. They all think you've got to be good to get to heaven. So that's absolutely incorrect. You do not have to be good to get to heaven. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus said there's none good but one, and that's God. But this becomes a real stumbling block. And a lot of the churches, whether they mean to or not, they teach, you know, you've got to be good. You've got to be good. To get. But we really know how you get to heaven. You don't be good to get to heaven. You know how we get to heaven. Jesus died on the cross so we could get to heaven. We know that, but if we're not taught that, we don't get it just, you know. Uh, but we pick up what we're being taught. So you were getting a nice religious education that was t- keeping you, or actually 
making you very disillusioned. Wasn't that what you're saying? There was a lot of uh, disillusionment there. And then, I, you know, you're uh, trying to find the ad- your identity, who you really are. And, uh, what Plus, you, being a teenager at the same time. Yeah, and, and going that that particular time in history was, I, I think, I don't know, if it was any more difficult than any other time. But yeah, just who am I? What am I supposed to do? Why am I here? All those questions, and I just those were not being answered for me. Yeah, well, I kind of grew up like that too, rural community, kind of isolated, um, in a different denomination, but basically the same deal. I thought it had to be good to get to heaven, and so I was a really good little girl. I mean, I tell you, I was—I I figured I was going to have to meet St. Peter someday and give an account for every word I did and said, deed I'd done. So I was a super good kid. As a matter of fact, I was, you know, I was getting straight A's on my report cards and, and obeying my parents, and I thought I was almost good enough to get to heaven because I really believed that's what you had to do. I think, actually, I knew Jesus, you know, the way a little kid might know Jesus. I'm sure Jesus knew me. But when I remember when I was about 10 years old, I heard uh, uh, Billy Graham, 10 or 12 maybe, on the radio. And I, we didn't listen to Billy Graham or anything. So I didn't know anything about words like born again, saved, anything like that. But I heard him say one day that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. And I knew that I'd been taught you cannot know for sure that you're going to die and go to heaven. I knew that that was, he was wrong. <laughs> That's how much I knew about it. But anyway, so then I, but I was, you know, seeking. And in the way we all try to seek in our own little ways, I started by learning and reading. I read the Constitution and I thought, well, that was good. That Maybe I should try reading the Bible just because it was, you know, the big fat book that sat on the coffee table that nobody ever opened. But it was, you know, it's kind of a mysterious book. I thought, wow, if I read that, then, you know, maybe I'd really know something and say I read the Bible, you know. So I opened the Bible up, and I was about 10 years old. I remember, and I don't remember where I started reading. Maybe at the beginning, which would make some sense. But what I did is I read about mm, maybe a couple chapters, and I thought to myself, you know what? This doesn't agree with what I am I'm saying and being taught in the Catholic Church. Oops. I mean, that's where I was raised. But anyway, it didn't make sense. It didn't, um, it didn't add up. And so I said, you know what? The Bible's got to be wrong because... Because I really believed what I was being taught. But anyway, as we progressed, Jerry and I both ended up going to college and met. That's where we met. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, we uh, we met uh, at, at college, as Marty said. And uh, uh, it was interesting how God works because uh, the first time she ever saw me, she poked her roommate and said, that's the guy I'm going to marry. And, and I didn't even know his name. I hadn't, I wasn't. You know, I didn't know about words of knowledge. I didn't know about anything. But within about, what, how many months we were married? Six months? Six months. And, and God just really put us together. I mean, we were, we were lost. We were confused. We didn't have direction for our lives. Uh, but God sovereignly put us together. And uh, that's been, uh, what, about five years now. So, wonderful. Yeah, don't tell them how old we are. Okay. All right, but you know, um, so as we worked our way through school, there's a lot of there was a lot of socialism being pro- um, taught in the universities in those days, and um, we thought maybe that would be the solution. So we we were pretty anti-establishment, not saved, but getting disillusioned because you know education wasn't the ticket either, and we got out of school and you know kind of had a we worked our way out of the Vietnam War crisis thing and and. 
Welcome to Rescue Radio. What are we doing? Keep going. Do I start at the beginning now? No, we keep going. Okay. All right. We're just, we're getting used to this, everybody. Hold on. I'm going to keep going with my story. Is that what I should do, Des? Des is our producer. I forgot to tell you about Des. She's on the other side of the glass smiling at me. All right. Maybe, maybe she's not smiling. Anyway, back to the Vietnam War. So we were, we were kind of protesters in, in the war and uh, left school, got graduated and um, got out into the world and found out the world was disillusioning, disappointing, discouraging. And eventually, we, you know, we started to hear about the end of the world, and I, I know that was kind of a, um, a way that the Lord kind of interested us in pursuing this, what's going on at the end of the world, and when's it happening, and is it now? And So we went to a couple of Bible studies in the process. We kind of got introduced to the concept of Jesus is coming back, Jesus returning, and didn't know a whole lot about that, but um, eventually, um, Jerry uh, got saved. Let me have him tell you about that. Well, I was, again, very uh, very lost, very confused. We've been married about three years. And uh, one night, I just kind of on a fluke, I thought. I said, I'm just going to go and see. Uh, I heard about the uh, Jesus freaks. There were some Jesus freaks that were going to be in a town uh, nearby uh, at a school. And so I went over there, and it was a it was a group, uh, they were part of the uh, Jesus People Movement, and they were sharing about how their lives had been so confused, and uh, a lot of some of many of them have been involved in drug, a lot of drug use and disillusionment, and and all that, and and how the difference uh, was made in their lives. They had been changed. They had been transformed by putting their trust in Jesus. And that night, the Lord just opened my mind, just like the lights went on, saying that the reason I was so messed up and confused and angry and frustrated in my life is because I did not have Jesus there. But really, the lights went on that night, and I just came and uh, surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. He filled me with his Spirit. Uh, and that was the uh, beginning of a whole new life for us. Well, actually, it was interesting. Jerry got saved. That night, I remember him coming back. As a matter of fact, when he went off to the meeting, I didn't go that night. I'm, I'm just, you know, I got to tell you, he got saved with what you call a knockdown, dragout experience. That's how I call it. You know, he got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, went, went in there sad, came out happy, not walking on the ground. He was so excited. Everything was wonderful. Come back, I was, I, he came to pick, pick me up from work, and I said, oh, you got saved, didn't you? No. <laughs> I didn't even know what I was saying, and I was sure not happy that he got saved. And so for about three months, I made his life totally miserable. But we had um, been connecting with some of the, the hippies who had, uh, you know, kind of checked out of society, went back to the land, were building geodesic domes in the swamps and woods of northern Minnesota. And we were kind of friends with them. We were hanging out with them at this time, and and so, um, interesting enough, uh, the, there was a, this couple that began to go to the commune and was starting to evangelize these kids. And they were bringing out these big Bibles and their accordions, and they were singing them gospel songs and teaching them Bible studies. And, and the kids, some of them were listening, some of them weren't, some of them were stoned out of their minds, and, you know, it was just a mess. But anyway, we, we liked them because they seemed to be more real than most people we knew. So, uh, we, the kids, the, the hippies. So we kind of were hanging with them. And one day, Jerry got this salvation thing happened in, what was it, April? April. 
Yeah, and in, and and so in July they were going to have July Fourth they were having a party, actually two parties. They were going to have a beer party down by the river, and a Bible study in the house, and that's about where they were. Some were saved and going to go to the Bible study, and some were still, hey, got nothing to do with that. So we went, and I thought we were going to go to the beer party because I don't drink beer, but I thought, well, that'd be nice. Just I didn't really want to go to the Bible study, but we ended up in the house because. Um, the head of the community, his wife had gotten saved, so she was hosting this Bible study in the house. And um, I just sat there kind of mad. I mean, I just didn't buy all this stuff. It was something wasn't right. But, you know, they're all talking about Jesus. And, I mean, you have to be careful when you when you resist God. I mean, you know, you can resist the ser- the people who are speaking about God, but when you start to resist the Lord himself, you're getting in trouble. So, anyway, um, uh, Jerry started going to church there. You want to tell him about that? Yeah, we started going to this uh, this little uh, church. It was a uh, little uh, Pentecostal church, and the people had been, um, you know, praying for revival, um, just for a lot of people to come to know Christ. Well, when they, that prayer got answered with a whole bunch of these back-to-the-land hippies coming to know Christ, and, and so it was kind of like dominoes, one by one, um, the most all of those people that were our, our friends and acquaintances there came to know Jesus and came into that uh, little church. Well, so the little church was having fun, and I was saying, oh, I think you guys are being brainwashed. I was just like, this is ridiculous. I'm so upset with this. I'm angry. But one night, one Sunday night, I did end up going, and um, I was sitting there, and, oh, man, I tell you, for someone who sits still in church and doesn't raise their hands and doesn't make noise, because that's the way I was raised, this was totally a freaky experience. They're making noise, singing loud, raising their hands, you know, clapping. It was Pentecostal. I didn't know what Pentecostal was. I mean, we do nothing, absolutely nothing. So the, the preacher's wife called at the, sort of the end of the service. She says, points me out. And she says, hmm, you don't look very happy. Can we pray for you? Would you come up here? And I thought, oh. I said, you know what? I am not going to be freaked out by you. You are. I, I'll, I'll take the challenge. I wasn't going to run out of church and look like a coward and look stupid. So I went up there, you know, just because I was going to prove to them that they're not going to scare me off. And so she was very wise, though, in this one thing. It must have been the Holy Spirit. He said, he said, open the Bible. So she opened the Bible and, and had me read uh, Romans 10:13. She says, read it out loud. And I said, and it says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I, she says, then she says to me, she says, well, have you ever called upon the name of the Lord? And I said to myself, well, yeah, I do, I did. Uh, and then, and then, uh, and then she, she says, well, what does it say? You'd be saved. Well, okay, so I couldn't tell a lie. I couldn't call God a liar. I couldn't say, no, I have never called on the Lord. And I couldn't say, God, you don't save those who call on you. So because I could not call God a liar, I got saved. There was no ringing bells. There was not no feelings of relief. There was nothing. I was just flat out, couldn't call God in the Bible a lie. That's how I got saved. It was just basically totally opposite of Jerry. I mean, everything he got, I didn't get. And so for about three months, I was hanging out with God, sort of. And I said, you know what? If I don't like this, I'm giving you three months, God. I mean, I know this sounds very obnoxious, but I was obnoxious. I thought I was doing God a favor to save me. Silliness, silliness on my part, for sure. But anyway, God is patient. So I said, God, I'm going to give you three months. Yeah, and if I don't like it at the end of three months, I'm getting out of here. And so, 
about towards the end of the three months, I had this vision. I was in my kitchen one day. Jerry wasn't there. And uh, I saw, you know, in the olden days, they used to put this fake grass out around the, the hole in the cemetery where they were going to lower the coffin down so people could stand on some grass. And my toes were standing uh, on this grass, but the tips of them were kind of curled over the edge of the hole. And as they began to lower this coffin into the hole, I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder whose funeral this is because I didn't know. And as I thought that to myself, all of a sudden the uh, cover disappeared from off the, the coffin and it was me in the coffin. And God says to me, okay, you, you live your life the way you want to live your life. Go ahead, make all the money, all the fame, all the whatever you want to do. And when your time is up and I say your time is up, you know, all of that can't even buy you two more minutes of time. And at that point in time, I realized that I was not in control of my life. I had always been, you know, very, you know, uh, proactive and uh, what's the word? What's the, how would you describe me, honey? I'm kind of what? I'll be nice. Well, you're, you're uh, precocious, proactive, you know, you just want to get in there and, and you know, say it like it is and uh, get the job done. Yeah, I would say get the job done. But anyway. So I realized that um, I had confronted God, and I still had no feelings. Good for me. God's, then I read in the Word, it says, I would that you were hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And I remember looking up to heaven and saying, okay, God, I'm hot. Okay, I'm hot. But I wasn't hot. I was just going along. And, you know, and, and I, one of the things that I had such a problem with was grace. Grace. You know, I heard, remember Alice one night, she talked to church because all the time in church, um, they were making us preach, teaching us how to be preachers in that little Bible church. Of course, they had a lot of things wrong, but that was one of the things they had right. Um, and she was talking one night about grace and how she loved the Bible. And I said, oh, I, I don't like the Bible. <laughs> I'm saved. I don't like grace. I don't like the Bible. How do you know you're saved? Well, because God said I was saved, not because I felt saved. How about that? And um, But now I love grace. and, and uh, But I remember saying, I don't get this Bible. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it seems to be contradictory and full of riddles. And and uh, like, for example, I remember the one I was, you know, and I would talk to God, you know, like I'm talking to you about how I talk to him right now. He said, God, I don't get this. He said, many are called and few are chosen. That doesn't make any sense. What does that mean? And within about two, three days, he gave me a parable that really explained it to me. And it was like, well, he says, you get a wedding invitation, don't you? You get an invitation. Can you either show up to the wedding? and eat wedding cake, or you can reject the invitation and stay home. You get called, but you don't get chosen to eat the wedding cake. You can't participate in the wedding unless you show up. And basically, so God calls us, but the, the call then rests upon our response. And that's the same with whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord we saved. Um, but So he just began to talk to me a lot like that out of the Bible. But let's talk a little bit more about that, church, because I think what we're doing, not just introducing ourselves, but we're introducing our religious journey to you. We're talking about the things, everybody who gets started in this, I'm promising you, the minute you get really committed to God, you know, the, the enemy will set up a problem. He will throw you into a religious pit, a trap. He'll set up some situation where all hell breaks loose and the war begins. So tell them about the church, honey. Well, the church, there were many, many really good things that were being taught and exemplified in that church. Uh, one of the things was consecration to God, that we are to consecrate ourselves fully to the Lord. 
and that we are to be praying, praying for the lost, praying about every uh, issue that confronts our lives. We are to uh, be loving the scriptures, learning and growing in the scriptures, uh, in, in, in good, uh, loving one another in the body of Christ. So we, we, uh, we learned a lot about that, but there were a few things that were not quite right. Did you say we went to church a lot? Because we went to church a lot. I mean, three, four times a week, kids and all stayed up late. And we learned servanthood. We learned how to clean the toilets. We learned how to do all that good stuff. But there was a couple of things those people had not figured out right. I think they were very, very good intentioned, but super religious. And um, one of the things I remember they had taught us to do, and because everybody was basically out of the commune and nobody knew any Bible anyway, <laughs> flew for a while, um, that there was a, it was an abomination for women to wear men's apparel at Deuteronomy 22.5. In other words, if women wore pants of any kind, shorts, you know, culottes, whatever, yeah, back in the day, you could not go to heaven. Okay, well, you know, I thought there was something wrong with that, but I just couldn't quite put my finger on it. And so it drove me into the scriptures. So I thought, I'm going to check this out for myself. And so I spent hours and hours every day seeking the Lord, reading the Bible to find out what was really the truth about what you had to do to get to heaven and what you didn't have to do, what was optional, what was absolutely mandatory. And I found out that it's not about what you wear. I mean, of course, God wants us to be modest, but it's about the work that God does in us by his Holy Spirit. It's not even about good works, but religion always makes it about performance and guilt and striving and exhaustion and all that stuff. We can get to all that stuff later. But we're going to go on with the story now because we were in that little church for seven years. And um, that's a long time to be in a hard place. Yeah. we um, Eventually, I became uh, an assistant pastor there. And then later on, I did uh, become the pastor of that a small congregation. But, uh, you know, that we really didn't have the freedom to uh, go any further with that. You were the puppet pastor, right? Pretty much a puppet pastor. The uh, former pastor was kind of behind the scenes, pulling the strings, and it was a very, very difficult situation to be in, to uh, say the least. And we wanted we wanted to just make it work. And, say, and serve God. Yes. Yeah, we wanted to serve God. And, you know, the thing is, back to that thing with law, legalism, law and legalism, is that, you know, one day I was, you know, it was after church on a Sunday morning, and I was across the way and I was watching as the pastors were greeting or saying goodbye to the people or whatever. And I overheard one of them say, you need, next time you come, you need to wear a dress or skirt. This was two women who had orange and green pantsuits on. And I thought, now how is that the love of God? I mean, I just, it just hit me. Like I was, what was happening is I believe the Lord, the Holy Spirit was just dropping little stuff in our mind, in our spirits to make us think, but he was teaching us all the while the enemy was trying to shape us into some very critical, unhappy, um, unprofitable, uh, you know, servants. We were just, you know, we were learning. So here's the deal, bottom line on this one, is that both God and Satan are always working in the same place at the same time to do the opposite thing. But so we were there for seven years, and Jerry was getting more frustrated, and, uh, and so... Finally, God said, what? Well, God spoke to me uh, one day. Um, someone had given me a um, 
catalog from a Bible college, and I had just left it on my dresser for several months. One day I took it to work and read it, and God just spoke to me there so clearly because we were very, we had resigned from the church. It was a long, cold winter. We were waiting, Lord, what do we do next? What do we do next? What do we do next? And God made it so clear and just really renewed my spirit uh, by uh, letting me know that that's where we were uh, supposed to go next. And it was a very um, a very clear word from God, and so we prepared to uh, take the next step in our lives. But during that seven years, there was a lot of our friends who were, they were messing, uh, jumping ahead of God. They were taking matters into their own hands, touching God's anointed. And the scripture that kept coming to me was like David and Saul, don't touch God's anointed. They're God will take care of them. Yeah, they're, you know, we don't want to disrespect them. They've, they're God's servants. He can take care of it. And so we did not mess with them. We just waited for the Lord. And as, as Jerry said, we got the clear word finally after seven years that we were to leave and to go to the next step. Now, I got to tell you, God will take his time forever and ever until you're just about dead with waiting. If not indeed dead with waiting. But then all of a sudden he moves so quickly you have to stay up all night. I remember... Uh, Jerry, the scripture that God gave him was that when Jacob saw the wagons, he was encouraged and revived in his soul when Joseph had sent the wagons from Egypt to pick up his dad. And so um, he, uh, well, the wagon that God sent for us was literally a grain truck um, that was empty and it was going back towards North Dakota where we needed to go uh, to the school. And so we packed all of our earthly belongings into this grain truck, filled it up, you know, obviously not stacked to the ceiling. But um, so we fled. Basically, we packed all night, fled in the night because classes were starting in two days. So we had to drive there, unpack. And the interesting part about all that was we had no money, none. We had bought a house. We were making our house payments. Jerry quit his job. Tell him about your job a little bit. How much money were you making when we left and all that good stuff? Well, I believe uh, when I started the job seven years earlier, I was making a dollar fifty an hour, and when we left, I was making three twenty an hour. When we left for Bible school, we had a total of one hundred and fifty dollars to our name, and uh, three little kids. And God said, "Go to Bible school." I remember we went out there to sign up for classes, and uh, we were still calculating. And I was right, adding the the list of things that we were the money that we would need. We had rent payment, we had house payment, we had utilities, we had tuition, we had food. We had, you know, just, the, and I, I just wrote them all down on a piece of paper and I, and I drew a line and I said, well, honey, I don't need to add this up. There's no way, we don't have this money. And then we decided to go anyway, which is, was our next lesson is a step of faith, walking in faith. So when we got out there, we thought this man was going to just give us a free ride, but no way, he took 75 of the 150 bucks. So we're down to $75, three kids, no milk, uh, haven't paid rent. You know, the house thing will be due. And by the way, our house, we had rented it out for three months to this guy who'd taken a new job in the town. And, and he said, well, if my job don't work out, he says, I'm, uh, you know, I'm out of here. And so he said, okay. So the door was cracked open, open just enough for us to flee, basically. And uh, then when we got there, what happened next? Well, when we... We got there, we uh, got into this uh, house, and uh, the, the uh, owner of the house was very gracious in renting to us. It was close to the campus. Uh, he was very gracious. We told him, I said, you know, we don't have the money right now, and he, he was very good about it. He said, you know, you can just wait a month or two and, and, and make the payment when you can. Very, very, very kind to us. Um, and God was able to uh, 
get me, I did get a, a part-time job that was one of the best paying jobs. I actually went in the wrong direction looking for another job and I made a wrong turn and got a better job. Uh, and that's how that worked. And, and God did take care of us um, through, um, you know, as we got out there and just got started with the school. Well, actually, that's sort of how it happened. <laughs> that's how, that is how it happened. But I remember one day before all the, he found the job, um, I was cleaning in the closet, and I found seven cents on the closet floor. And back in those days, stamps were maybe 15 cents. And I took the seven cents, and I looked up to God, and I said, God, look at this. We're doing your will. We're in your will. And we don't even have enough money to get a stamp to write home to ask our parents for help. Now, back in those days, there weren't cell phones, there weren't Internet and all that connection stuff. So they really didn't know that we needed any help, and, and I guess God didn't want them to know it. But I was kind of upset. And um, then I remember a couple of days later, maybe a month later, the guy that we'd been renting the house from, and this is probably, again, before Jerry got the job, um, the guy wrote us a letter and he said, hey, he says, um, I had to get the, the, the septic system pumped and um, I'm going to send you the bill because, you know, you are the landlords and all that good stuff. And I was so mad. I took the letter, like Jehoshaphat, and I laid, raised it up to the Lord. And I said, God, I said, we don't even have enough money for milk for our kids and you expect us to pay for somebody flushing his toilet? I mean, seriously. I mean, you guys may be laughing at this, but this I was pretty pretty mad at the time, pretty stoked. I mean, I, I, I'm just telling this because this is just the way it is. You don't have to be so perfect with God. You just be who you are and tell God like it is, and he hears you because he already knows. Anyway, well, that afternoon, after I'd yelled at God, and our, our oldest daughter was in first grade, comes home uh, with a piece of paper in her hand from the teacher that says she would be eligible for free milk and free lunch. So I thought, okay, all right, God answered that thing about the milk. And so I, it was kind of funny that another time I complained, God, we don't even have little offering money to send the kids when they go to their little their little um, church classes in, on Wednesday night. Well, that day, that very day, one time and only one time in all of our years, their grandmother sent them a card with three quarters taped into it, and they each needed a quarter for their little class. And so. That's how we lived out there. I remember one time you tell, you found two bucks laying on the floor and you thought we were rich. You spent one dollar on a book and put the other one in the offering. So that's how we lived. Yeah, I mean, we knew we'd heard from God and we were being obedient to the Lord. And so, you know, looking at it you know, from a natural point of view, it does not make any sense. It would be just stupid. You know, you, you calculate everything and, and according to our human calculations and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. But when you're obeying God, he provides for us. He provided for us so many ways. Um, you know, jobs came. We worked very hard. Uh, there was time, I remember one time I came out to my car one morning and I found, uh, you know, three $20 bills on the front seat. I have no idea who it came from. God just provided all kinds of ways for us. And so that's one of the great lessons, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the great lessons that we learned in Bible college, the faithfulness of God. And that was not in a, in a classroom. You know, we had some great classes and some that weren't so great. But um, the, the main lesson that we learned out there is that God is faithful to his children who, um, who just uh, trust him and, and follow him. 
Yeah, and you know, God knows what he's doing. I think the most important thing we learned was that he is good, he's faithful. And and again, as we go through this, go through life, you can look back and you can see, I'm sure you can also, God's mercy, God's faithfulness, God's watching over you and, and your family. Even though we are being taught all the while to not live by uh, feelings. The just shall live by faith, not by sight. And so as we were walking in faith, learning by faith, and, and I mean, we were just like, we just knew very little about the Lord. I mean, we were reading the Bible, but our, again, you, you know, you don't understand. When we're in a system that is already totally uh, programmed and corrupted as the world is, when the prince of this world is running things, he has got an agenda, his wiles, his, his ways are, are beyond us. We're not going to be smart enough to figure out whether or not we're okay or being deceived. And that's where we really need to just learn obedience to walk in the Spirit and submit to God. But let's take a little break right now. We're going to take a little break, and um, we want to tell you some more about us in a little bit. But I want to just introduce you to um, a project that we're working on. It's called God on Trial. And uh, we'll be talking more about many things that we're doing in in the days ahead. But I want you to listen to a little excerpt right now from God on Trial. Extra, extra, read all about it. God's in trouble. The heavens shook. Satan fell. The war in heaven was ended, but the war on earth had just begun. I dare you to let me test them. Would you test them to find fault with me? Let them choose for themselves whom they will serve. Perfect disguise. So subtle, and yet alluring. (laughs) You will be more like him. That is why he has marked it as separate. More like him? Mm. Here. Delicious. Uh, you see, nothing to fear. But I am afraid of one thing. Oh, what is it, my darling? What about Adam? Adam, where are you? Adam. You lied to us. It's time you all suffer like he made me suffer. Those two are guilty and they will pay. Unless one can be found who is willing to pay the penalty for them. I demand my rights to a fair trial to determine my rights. You shall have your trial in the very hearts and souls of those you so freely seek to destroy. Well, then let them judge this matter. Let the accused become the judge, and the judge become the accused. Well, there you have it. This is a little excerpt from God on Trial, um, opening arguments, and these. this is a project that we have been working on um, basically since about 2000. And can I tell a little bit of a story on it, honey? 
that I started this out as a long treatise, a theological treatise on the things that God was showing me. And um, there was, there was uh, it was so boring. <laughs> I said, I'm not even going to read this. It's too many words on a page. And so I took it to um, some workshops and worked it through. And they said, why don't you just write it as a script? Or it's, that's what the Lord said to me after I went to the workshop. And so I began to write it as a dialogue, as a drama. And then it became eventually became an audio drama. So these are professional actors. And what they're doing is they're telling us the story of the war between God and Satan for the souls of men that begins in the garden and ends at the cross. Uh, this is opening arguments or God on trial. So because there is a, there's also going to be, hopefully someday, Lord Terry's another sequel to that. But um, it tells that story of the drama and the trauma from a human point of view and also from the devil's point of view. Do we really... Uh, 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 the, the devil in there is, is the, the character uh, that he really is. He's talking in our minds. He's telling us lies. We hear it. We see it. We sense it. So if you're interested, go to the website, www.liferecovery.com, to the store there, God on Trial. Listen for yourself and uh, check it out. But now, hey, let's go back to our story. Your turn. Well, back to the story, yes. And, and we saw the... Um faithfulness of, of the Lord there uh, at, in the Trinity, at the Bible College. And uh, when it um, came time, we got then we were there for about uh, two years, thanks to transfer credits from a previous uh, college degree that I had. And uh, so we came to Bible school there with the three kids. We had another uh, fourth child that was born there. And um, so the time comes, it's like, okay, where do we go now? And uh, what do we do next? And you kind of go with the feeling like, oh, God, you've been so faithful to us here now. What is next? Where do we go? And then sometimes a thought came to me, and I wonder where that thought, that what if nobody wants us to come to minister? And uh, But I, I quite quickly recognized where that thought came from, and it wasn't from the Lord. And the, um, the doors opened up for us to go uh, pastor to a... Uh, be a pastor uh, of a congregation in uh, in Minnesota. Yeah, one thing back, one thought that's hanging with me, uh, going back to uh, the Bible school. Uh, remember when we were at that first church, I kept saying, there's something not right here, there's something not right here, something's not sitting right with me. Well, then we got to the, uh, the, the Bible school, and I said to my husband, I said, okay, you know, there's something not right here, something not right here. I, I never knew what it was. I just kind of just, I wonder if you feel like that sometimes, like, am I in the right place? Is this really the gospel? This doesn't quite look like what they were doing in the book of Acts. This doesn't quite fit what it sounds like in the epistles. I mean, so I'm kind of trying to compare everything, and it seems like it's got real doctored up with programs and, and councils and religious rhetoric and vestments and whatever, rituals. It just kind of didn't feel right. But anyway... Uh, one of the funny things when we went, we were going to go to this town is um, there was a rumor, you know, back in those days, there were rumors. Nowadays, it's called Facebook, but anyway, no, just kidding. Um, they, um, they, uh, there was a rumor that this church was a preacher killer because the preachers didn't stay there very long. They got there and they were gone within two, three years, and I don't know why, but we were desperate. And so when they, they called us, uh, we went there, but they were super you know, due diligence, do your homework. I mean, they checked us out to the point of who was my hairdresser and how did we keep our house. And, I mean, they didn't even let us preach in the church the first time they went and listened to us in another church 
lest we should say something that would, you know, offend them or something. Anyway, eventually, they let us come. Jerry. Yeah, they um, they did um, let us come, and we came. And, um, well... How long did we stay? We stayed um, over 12 years, um, and which was a record for the church. Uh, the, longest, the founding pastor, I think, had been there 10 years. We stayed there uh, 12 years. And uh, boy, you know, we learned a lot. There was a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of difficulties there. Uh, uh, God again was uh, was faithful to us. And uh, Margie, why don't you share maybe a couple of the specific things that uh, that the Lord was showing us during that time? Well, I come from a family where you don't really care what people think. You know, I mean, you just I was kind of a political activist in my day, and grew up that way a little bit. And um, I remember one time uh, um, somebody said something. We were making some centerpieces for some woman's function at the church. And I said, um, well, I don't really, you know, care. She said, well, well, what will they think if we, you know, what will they think if it doesn't look right or if it's not so-and-so? And I, I thought, oh, that's what what's all about here. One time I stood up in church and I testified on a Sunday night back in those days. They still had testimony services and meetings. And, and I said, you know, I don't really care what you people think of me. I really don't care what you people think of me. Now, I was not born and raised proper in a church. I mean, and they just weren't used to stuff like that. And so that was kind of like, okay, not the right thing to say. And I remember the time that we brought drums into the church about halfway through. Oh, my goodness. I thought I was going to not only rock the church, but break up the church and totally. I mean, because, you know, we're pioneers. And everything we did, we're about 10 years ahead of ourselves. And so, you know, the pioneers, they have to take the, the they take the axe to the tree and they take the plow to the sod. And, and But, you know, we all survived it. And they started finally praising the Lord and um you know, reviving because they were very sad and very dead and for a Pentecostal church. But we have some of our best friends now that have come from that church and are still friends to this very day. So it was an awesome move of God, but, you know, it's not without a lot of pain and learning. And um, so that, and and actually we built a new church for them, didn't we? I mean, the Lord did it, but, I mean, we were given the opportunity to to do that. That was an awesome privilege. So, um, yeah, uh, we were able to... um... Uh, we had to move because there was a courthouse nearby was expanding, and uh, we had the opportunity to sell the the existing building for a good price and built a new beautiful um, church facility there. And uh, it was just like God brought a whole new uh, spirit into that church. Um, there were, you know, it was uh, uh, many wonderful people, uh, very much uh, missions minded. We were heavily committed to. Uh, missionaries that were going all around the world and uh and then the well after those years and and our kids were were growing up during those years and it was time to uh move along. Oh, but before we move along, he forgets so many of these little details I got to tell you about. Um okay, so I'm in the church and uh uh you know, I'm I'm kids are all in school now and so I'm don't know what to do with myself. So I decided to go back to college, finish my degree. And I said, what should I do, Lord? He says, psychology and chemical dependency. I thought, okay. You know, I was kind of in the behavioral psych before, and so I finished my degree in St. Cloud and moved back and forth a little bit, uh, driving, commuting, raising kids, being a pastor's wife, being busy, et cetera, et cetera. Then I got a job uh, working in the hospital nearby as a mental health 
professional, and eventually became a licensed psychologist. And um, but you know, all that's on on one side of the deal, and on the other side of the deal, God is also teaching us, and He was teaching us things that we did not have any idea about. Things like war, witchcraft, spiritual warfare. We would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And it seemed like things just weren't breaking through. Has that ever happened to you? It's like, why isn't this working? Prayer is supposed to change things. And we just went through a lot of, you know, uh, just grinding it out. But I remember as we look back on it, to the, the, the explanations sometimes come after you look back. And I remember the word control, the word witchcraft, and the words religion. In the first church, we learned about religion. In the second church, I think we learned about control, for sure. And then we moved on. After we built the church, then where, would, where did we go, honey? We went on to uh, be a pastor of another uh, congregation. Um, the, the congregation was only eight years old. We were going to be the second uh, pastor there, and uh, uh, second you know, senior pastor. So uh, it really... Uh, you know, we came there, and one of the things that we saw that I said to Marjorie, I said, this, this church is like a bunch of little kids without any parents. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot, there's a great need for um, discipleship and uh, coming into uh, a maturity and a wholeness. And so at the same time, you know, we're, we're coming through this sort of religious system working to just to kind of figure out what's going on. Again, we're sensing something isn't right. Something is missing here. Something, you know, and and we would pray and pray and pray and pray. One of the things that we learned there, at least, um, was that uh, that you, if you, you, you can pray and pray and pray, but if, if the structural, the basic structural setup, foundation, foundation uh, is not right, uh, you have to Put in a new foundation before you can get a, a new scru- a structure based on, on, on the, the Word of God. Yeah, it's not just about building an infrastructure, f- fancy word, you know, or, uh, you know, the churches were being run, we saw they were starting to be run like corporations or businesses with, you know, the same kind of situations you see in a bank or in a corporate system. And God called it to be a family. He called it to be a body. He called it to be, you know, uh, a, a haven, of, a place of rescue, a place of miracles. But back to the praying and fasting, I mean, we did so much praying and so much fasting. And after a while, you know, there's another temptation to, to, to get mad again, get bitter. Why isn't this working? Um, you know, it, it was just kind of interesting that at that point, um, I took another job because, you know, sometimes you don't get enough salary and it was okay because it was fine. Anyway, I worked. I went to work for an um, a auxiliary group, um, uh, residential treatment, Christian residential treatment facility, very well known uh, in, the, in the metro area because we were near the metro now. So I got this job, guy who ran it, loved the guys. They, he was, had been a missionary in Africa. I was very familiar with... Um, deliverance and demons being cast out of people. And this is kind of where we learned about spiritual warfare and demons in this church. And so here was my job. Okay, my job description. I go to church, I go to, to work in the morning. First thing we have is chapel. Somebody's preaching. They have prayer at the end of it. And that goes about 45 minutes. And then the rest of my day, I spend picking up the people at the altar who are manifesting 
demons and freaking out. And so my job description was basically counseling and casting out devils and learning. And I remember we had students from everywhere, every age bracket, male, female, young, old. Um, we had Vietnam vets. We had um, witches. We had prostitutes. We had, you know, kids on drugs. We had all. And everybody would have to come to my office, basically, because I was the main counselor. And I remember that um, every time they would say something, oftentimes the Holy Spirit would say to me, remember that. Remember that piece? I'll show you later where that fits in the puzzle. Remember that. Just don't forget that. And so I was gathering all of these pieces of information, meeting all of these people, and um, getting exposed to things a little country girl didn't even know existed, uh, nor does the church know it exists. And so eventually um, I was confronting, being confronted by the Spirit of God to either put this stuff down, write a book, or uh, you know, I, I had to because I just had to be responsible or uh, to to keep this information, to to uh, understand it. And so um, I remember one time I was in the process of thinking about taking a sabbatical and, uh, I, you know, just a couple of days, a hiatus of a couple of months to get off some time and write this book. And about that same time as I was uh, contemplating that, one of the gals who was a resident there, um, she was, supposedly the rumor had it that she was a high priestess and she was sick all the time and so she couldn't keep up with the group and she couldn't keep up with the, the program and so um, they were going to basically let her go and so I, Jerry and I prayed about it and seemed like God wanted her to come stay with us and I wasn't too excited about that and I said to God, you better make this worth our while and uh, I, I thought, well, I'm sure Jerry will he'll have enough common sense and he'll say no and if he says no, then I don't have to do it because I have to you know, listen to him. But what did you say, honey? I said yes. Oh, no, no. So I said, okay, God. I said, here's the deal. Uh, because I knew she was pretty, pretty, uh, you know, powerful, cantankerous, crazy, I don't know, demonized. Because uh, I remember one night I was just closing up, making my last rounds before I left work, and it was a snowy day. I don't remember what month it was, but, you know. Anyway, so I went to her room, and she's sitting there in this kind of catatonic state, and I... Um, uh, I asked her, I said, well, what's happening? Are you okay? And she was just not saying anything. And um, we get to, finally, I pulled a few words out of her. I said, well, let me pray for you. You know, I just offered to pray for her. And so as I began to pray for her, she grabbed my hand. And it's like, um, oh, this is not good because I'm all by myself and I don't know what she's up to. And uh, as I began to pray, um, I named some demons and bound some things little bit I knew and um and I said to myself I I didn't say it out loud I said I said angels tie her down you know hold her grip her because I need help here because I don't have the physical strength to wrestle with and you know you have all those horror stories about the exorcist and the demons and the foaming at the mouth and all that anyway so I prayed then I got to pray for her and uh, she said I, I mentioned the name of a demon and she said to me, oh, ho, ho, you have really made him mad and you are in trouble now. And I flashed on this idea of, uh-oh, uh-oh, what about my kids? And I just said, Lord, protect them. And I kept going. I, we finished the prayer. And uh, she, when, when I was done, I said, okay, I'm done. We're going, I'm going now. And she still didn't move. Um, she seemed a little better, but she didn't move. And I said, well, aren't you going to see me to the door? She says, I can't move. I said, well, why? 
And then I said, oh, yeah. I said, that's right. I got the, the angels are telling you. I said, angels, you can let her go now. And she didn't know the angels. I had told angels to tie her down. But the minute I said that, she was released and she could walk me to the door. Well, anyway, that night on the way home, it was dark and it was slushy. And, and I just had this feeling that, you know, I felt like I was being followed home by something dark and icky. Well, it was a Wednesday night because I remember about, you know, we were having church that night before the evening service starts. I get this phone call from our daughter. And she says, Mom, she says, I'm okay. And you know, whenever you get a daughter, a daughter calling, you say, Mom, I'm okay. <laughs> you say, okay, well, well, that's good. What happened? Well, she had, and three others, she was commuting home from her work. And they had been um, flipped off the road, the little tiny car she was driving, spun around, flipped around, um, and landed right side up with the only damage being done to the side view mirror. And they had flipped and spun and on this road. And, you know, it was like totally everybody's okay, but obviously something really bad had been, uh, the enemy had tried to do something really bad. And I thought, okay, well, anyway, this is the girl that comes to stay with us. So here's my uh, my hardcore crash course in, you know, living with a high priestess, okay? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it unless, of course, God has told you to do it. And, you know, I mean, we weren't scared or anything because I had told the Lord I wanted I wanted four angels on our, you know, the, the corners of our yard. Oh, we lived in suburbia and I wanted four angels to protect us because we still had a couple of kids living at home and stuff. And one morning she comes and she says, hey, do you know you got four angels on the corner of your yard? You know, one in each corner. I said, yeah. Well, evidently, she sees them. I don't see them, obviously. But it was just a, a tons and tons of stories like that, unbelievable stories. And at the same time, it was uh, an education for us. And, and we were pastoring the church. And uh, I'm working as a psychologist and working at this, this residential home and counseling in the church and do you have anything you want to say about right here, honey? Yeah, I, you know, one of the things, too, sometimes there, there's an issue that comes up. Um, uh, the question is that uh, can Christians have demons? And, uh, well, in, in that particular church, there was this very sweet, sweet lady. I mean, if anybody loved God, she loved God. She was born again, loved Jesus, uh, sweet spirit. Whenever we had prayer times at the altar, she was up there praying. But one uh, Sunday morning, uh, she came up there, and I uh, just reached out just to put my hand on her head to, to pray for her, and she started manifesting deep, and she started getting down on the on the uh, floor of the, of the church. It was at, you know, at the very end of the service, and uh, we took her into a room aside from the sanctuary and uh, began to minister to her and uh, found out a little bit later, I don't know if it was quite that day, but as we as we talked with her more later on, we prayed for her, bound the spirits. Um, she had been involved in hypnotism, and uh, there had been spirits that, in connection with that, that had uh, uh, still had a hold of her, even though that you never you'd never know it except that day they were manifest. So we did pray and uh, came against those spirits specifically, and uh, and after that she was she was fine. But that was. Kind of one of the, you know, Margie mentioned about, you know, working at this uh, uh, facility with all these uh, people. And uh, now in the church, we're seeing the reality of this. Uh, and uh, so it's just, again, part of God's instruction uh, to us of, um, 
what we were going to be doing in the future and, and how this, uh, this whole uh, manifestation thing uh, works in, the, um, in, in even people who love the Lord. Well, yeah, that's a really good question. Can Christians have demons? And back to that, um, that was the very issue that was troubling me because we were always told, at least through the theological classes that you know we were, that Christians can't have demons and, um, and that they can't be possessed and all this stuff. And well, okay, we'll get to that in a minute, but back to some more of the story. Actually, the woman Jerry was talking about, not only was she hypnotized, but he forgot the part where with her she was... Um, she came from a generational line where there had been, and she was having some issues uh, to the back of her neck and neurological issues, kind of vertical things as well. And I found out from the stories that she was telling that her father or her grandfather had either been struck uh, in the head, he comes from the old country, whatever, and had been hit with a shovel or a post or something by his neighbor or his neighbor had hit him. Anyway, somehow there was a... Uh, a crime committed against the family by the member of the family or by, he was the victim. And this was an un, some unfinished business. And when we began to bring that before the Lord, we started to realize there are generational connections to health and healing and deliverance and all kinds of stuff. Now, that was just the beginning because um, at the same time, that sweet lady was in our church. There was another sweet lady in our church who um, was... Uh, the wife of one of our uh, musicians, she came in for counseling. Now, this is where the story gets interesting, and I won't give you too many details, but um, I was doing pastoral counseling with with my husband, and uh, he wasn't in the office that day, not in that particular counseling session. And um, she came in, and she said to me as she sat down, now remember, she's a member of the congregation, okay? She said to me, the first thing she said, well, you're a psychologist, aren't you? And I said to her, yeah. Uh, but you want pastoral counseling, right? You want biblical counseling. We're going to be talking out of the Bible here. That's what you want, right? And I, I, that kind of rose a little red flag in me. Why would she ask me that? Of course, you know, I mean, that's not even relevant here. But it turned out to be quite relevant as it was a plant. It was a situation the devil had set up to try to get me in trouble. Um, and I'll just tell you right out, the devil doesn't want the truth being told in the church or out of the church. And he, I think, thought that we were getting too much, too close to the truth, and so he was going to try to do something. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, I was a psychologist for 10 years. I went to school. I got straight A's. I, you know, understood all their, their theories, and they are theories. They're not the truth. They're theories. But, you know, got past the board and did all that good stuff. Well, anyway, at the time that she was... Um, approaching me for counseling, there was four other people in the church that were coming out of backgrounds of witchcraft. Some had been ritualistically abused. I mean, they're just coming out of the woodwork. Plus, this high priestess is living with us. So it's a little tense, you know, a little intense for us to to, to get and learn all this stuff. But anyway, so eventually, um, I learned a lot from all of them. Unbelievable. I I didn't believe everything they told me because I thought, well, you know, they could be just lying to me too, but when five or six are saying it, they're all saying about the same thing at different times, different places. And I learned so much from the place I worked as well. I mean, about haunted buildings and ghosts and familiar spirits jumping on on children as they're, you know, watching their grandfathers be buried. And I mean, it's just, come on, it's just a spiritual world out there. 
And t- I'm going to tell you something. I am not a superstitious person. I'm not one of these woo-woo, see a demon behind every rock. I don't see demons. I'm a practical person. I want to understand it. I got my feet on the ground. I'm listening, but I'm looking and wanting to learn. So anyway, long story short, you know, basically, um, because I was, um, you know, both a pastor's wife and a psychologist, I was wearing two hats, which was very disturbing to the board of psychology. And so they were going to, um, you know, rehabilitate me (laughs) at my expense. And I said to them in the presence of my attorney, which I'm not ashamed. You can, you can, I'm not hiding nothing here. I said, you know what? I really don't need to be a psychologist. I mean, that's a privilege. I don't need to have to be a psychologist to prove anything to anybody myself. I don't need that to do what I do. And so they said, okay, we'll let you go. And so they let me su- su- uh, surrender my license. And um, they, uh, the guy says to me, he says, you know, the, guy, the head of this examination board, he says, you know, you'll probably do more good this way. And he's right. I was totally free at that point. I wasn't bound to a piece of paper or a set of rules I couldn't keep. And then I was free. And I began to write the book, Taking the Devil to Court. As a matter of fact, you can get it at Amazon in the, in the revised edition now. Um, taking the, and, and going back to your comment, Jerry, can Christians have demons? Stories in that book are all about people who were more saved than me. They had a better experience, more powerful, positive experience of salvation than I ever did in terms of feelings and experience. And yet they were manifesting demons in worship services and, and stuff like that's going on in their life. So we think if they're not saved, then I'm not saved. If you go by, you know, what it takes to get saved. But really what it takes to get saved is calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Again, it's not about a feeling. So we'll go on with more of that in a minute. I, Jerry, do you want to say anything to wrap this up for a second? We can take another quick commercial break. Do you want to say anything before? Well, uh, maybe after the commercial break, we can talk, talk a little bit about the uh, the house and the rats. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going to have a commercial about whatever. Extra, extra, read all about it. God's in trouble. You've just tuned in to EUL, Eternity Uplink, where you are getting all the -the up-to-the-minute information on the biggest news since the flood. The Court of Heaven has been called into a special session to resolve the dispute in the landmark trial between God and Satan. The shock has left the earth spinning. I heard that the battle is over the souls of the humans. The score was never really settled at Eden, and now it's erupted into this. Satan challenging God's right to rule the world. Can you believe it? First Eden, now Earth, where will it stop? Stay tuned for the latest developments as the story unfolds. Or download the latest episodes to your iPod. This is Angel Anchor. And court reporter for EUL. Well, there you have it. Another commercial extra, about God on extra, read all of- there we go. Say we're learning. <laughs> this is um, another little uh, soundbite from God on Trial. Again, check it out on the website, liferecovery.com, the store. Um, it's really, it, it's excellent for both um, uh, education, inspiration, and evangelism. Um, we've test piloted this thing with kids. They love it. Um, we've used it in classrooms as a teaching, a Bible kind of 
uh, opening discussions for Bible classes. Um, it, it's just awesome because there's, it, it's really good for people who don't know what they believe and you don't know how to get to them because it's just right there. It's all done for you. Just listen to this. And we, in, in the story, we're using uh, characters from, every character's from the Old Testament at this point. And everyone who has a bone to pick with God, we start with Cain, we go to Nimrod, we go to um, uh, Lot's wife, various people who are just angry with God for this or that. And it kind of helps us to understand the differences in the theology between behind things like works versus blood. Why do we have to have blood sacrifices or why did God want blood in the Old Testament? And is he is he insane? Is he you know, is he cruel? Does he have a right to rule the rule the, rule the world? But back to um rats in the house, honey. Uh what do you want to say about rats in the house? Well, there there's a great uh, analogy that uh, uh that came to Margie quite a few years ago, and uh, it really, it really it works very well. So I will just let you, honey, um, explain how that works. Okay. Well, going back to taking the devil to court, I thought, you know, as I was writing this book in the middle of the night, you know, it's about the time I had to write the book, the high priestess would come down when I wasn't there, and she'd read the book. And in the morning, I'd say to her, I says, "Well, uh, is it right?" And she'd say, "Yeah, you got it right." I says, well, what about this author and this author? And I ran a few people past her that I sort of had read their books. She says, well, yeah, they're not quite right. She says, you actually can talk to demons. And, of course, you know, nobody wants to talk to demons. And I mean, I don't talk to them a lot. Jesus didn't talk to them a lot, but he did talk to them. And so, anyway, um, we're talking about, and you know, people who are torn. How do you explain the behavior, the bizarre, depraved behavior, uh, and then... They're longing for God in the same body. Well, you have to go back to the language and you have to go back to understanding actually the spiritual anatomy of the human being. Um, let's start with the, the anatomy. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit, and together that forms a house. That's a house. Okay. Now, so we have a body, and the body carries our soul. When the body are, and, and the soul are connected we are called living flesh. That's actually what the term flesh means. It's the soul and the body connected. When you separate the soul from the body, you have a corpse and you die. That's why God didn't take Adam and Eve's soul. Because when the soul that sin shall die, he couldn't take their soul out of them or they would have dropped dead immediately. There had to be another way for them to be redeemed. Um, but And going back to the word uh, possession, can a Christian... Uh, have a demon. In English, we have the word possession. Um, Jerry, do you want to tell us about the word? Do you know what it, the three parts of the word possession? It means to own, to occupy, and to control. Yeah, so you can own something you don't occupy. Um, you can uh, control something you don't own. Right. And you can you can yeah. occupy something you don't own. So you can be a renter. You can occupy something you don't own. You can be the landlord. You can own something you don't Occupy, and you can also control something that isn't rightfully yours. You know, like Hitler did in the in the war, he took over nations that weren't rightfully his, and he controlled them through the occupation. And so, what happens in in the word English word possess that we think we think it means all three, but it really in Greek there are different meanings. And I think a better word is demonized, but that's on a continuum. Um, but going back to the understanding. Um, of a body, soul, and spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned, it says in the Bible, the soul that sins shall die. And 
what happened was that the enemy, if we go to Romans for a minute, we'll kind of wrap it all up, bring it all around to that. But Paul was starting to say this. Now get this, Paul, the Apostle Paul, saint of God, apostle, writing the book to the Romans. I mean, you can't get more holy than that, right? And and anointed and inspired, and God is showing him deep, 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 but simple, but profound truth. And he's saying in the middle of Romans 7, he says, I am doing things I don't want to do. And then he says it again. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I perform, I hate. The things I I hate, I perform. And then he says, it's the sin that dwells in me. Then after he makes that observation, he says, you know, with my inward man, I agree with the law of God that it is good. Now, Agreeing with the law of God was allowing Paul to see that his, his real true nature was a divine nature in that he wanted, preferred, loved the law of God. And ask yourself, do you love the law of God? And you say, yeah. And, and why do you love the law of God? Well, a simple question, simple answer. Because you're built by God to love God to resonate with God, to know God. God made us in his image. He did not make us depraved. He made us, and when we came to this earth, we became immediately enslaved. Paul talks about that in Romans 6. But going back to 7, he says, he says, I see this war going on inside of my members, inside of me, the one who wills to do good. So he's talking about a, a war. There's, there's something going on in him that is doing stuff he doesn't want to do. And then he says in Romans 7:20 he says if I will not if I if I will not to do the thing that I'm doing it is not me doing it. In other words he was saying if I am doing what I don't want to do it's not me doing it. And you just stop and you say wait a minute is this what are you saying Paul? You need to take responsibility for your actions. This is what the church teaches. You've got to be good. You've got to own it. You've got to, society teaches this. School teaches this. Uh, treatment programs, be sober, work the program. It's, you know, it's up to you. I mean, the messages are very clear out there. It's all up to me. And Paul is saying, if I don't want to do it, it's not me doing it. Well, then who is doing it? Because he says, okay, he says, it's not me. Now, he's not denying that it's being done. He's not saying, I'm, I'm innocent, I didn't do anything. He's saying, I'm doing it, but I don't want to do it. And then he says, oh, miserable man that I am. Now, here's Paul, the guy who says, rejoice in everything, give thanks in everything, you know, think on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just in the good report in Philippians. Here he's saying, I am a miserable, wretched man. What, why, what, what's going on? So then he says, oh, miserable man that I am. And the next thing out of his mouth is not, okay, I got to take control here. I got to get my act together. I got to, you know, get some self-discipline going on. I've got to, you know, try harder. I've got to join a self-help group. I've got to, you know, get an accountability partner. I've got to, got to, got to do this and this. And he, he says, he didn't say, how do I? He didn't say, what do I? He said, who will deliver me? In other words, Paul is implying that he needs deliverance. Now, okay, going back to can a Christian have a, a, a demon, the question is, well, can a, can, can, can a Christian have a rat in their house? 
if you if you have a rat in your house, even in the natural, if you have a rat in your house or a bat in your house, does that make you a rat? No. Well, you can live with the rat or you can get the rat out. It's your choice. And the rat will make garbage. He'll feed on garbage. He'll make a mess. He'll control certain areas. And if you don't like rats, you're not going to go down in the basement where the rat hangs out. So he's controlling certain areas of your life because you don't want to deal with it or you're scared of it or whatever. Or maybe you don't know you have authority as the Lord of the house to do anything about it. But anyway, so Paul is saying, this rat out of me. Now notice, having a rat does not make you a rat. However, a lot of believers think um, having a rat, having a demon, might make me a demon. I don't want to be a demon. Guess what? You're not going to be a demon ever. You're a human being, whether you live in heaven or in hell or on earth. You're never going to change your genre. You're going to be a human being. You don't, you don't turn into an angel when you get to heaven. You are a human being, son or daughter of the Most High God. Now, there are some scriptures and, and examples of people. I, I, got, I want to give a few of them just because I know some of you are like freaking out. Oh, my God. What is she saying? I'm saying what the Bible says. Now, a very interesting scripture. Maybe, Jerry, you can help me find the, the reference to it. But you know the story. Jesus was going through Samaria. and the, He was in a hurry. And the Samaritans um, weren't receiving him. And James and John two of the apostles, said to the Lord, um, should we just call down fire on him? Let's just, you know, smack him. What did Jesus say? Did he say, you know what? You guys need to take responsibility for that behavior. You need to apologize to the group for your actions. You need to, you know, control yourselves. Uh, you need to, no, you know what he said? He said, you have no idea what spirit you are of you have no idea what spirit you are listening to right now. It's not me. It's not the Holy Spirit. This is not what I want done here. Notice when Peter, in uh, Matthew 16 and 18, where he's, um, Jesus is saying to the guys, well, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Son of God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And about three passages, three, three verses later, uh, Jesus is telling everybody he's going to go to the cross, and Peter says, no way. And, and, and Jesus pointed at him and he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he knew that Satan was using Peter's love for Jesus to get Peter to resist the plan of God. Just like in the garden, Satan used Eve's desire to know more, to have wisdom, to be more like God, to know. You see, that tree, if you read it in Genesis, the tree was there to make one knowledgeable, uh, give them wisdom. It, the, the fruit looked good to eat. And so um, she wanted to know God. She wanted to know God more. And she probably thought, well, if I know what's on that tree, I'll know God more. We'll have deeper conversations. We'll have deeper fellowship. And so, in or, so Satan used her love for God to get her to sin against God. Satan tempts us. Well, where does he tempt us? In our soul. Well, is your soul inside of you or outside of you? So the enemy gets in to our minds, he gets into our hearts, he gets in to set up his programs, his strategies. But let's go back to Paul. Um, so Paul says, um, who will deliver me? And then he goes on to say, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I think, well, what's a body of death? And you've all probably heard the sermon about the, the dead body that's tied on the back of the criminal and it decays and it rots the person. And I just kind of didn't quite buy that because I didn't think that would be a very relevant 
you know, example of anything for us, you know, 2,000 years later when they don't really do that, I don't think, anymore. So I couldn't quite buy that as the spiritual explanation. So I said, God, what are you talking about here, body of death? Well, I noticed that in Romans 6, Paul talks about a body of sin. Well, where does sin and death show up together? The first time in the human story, where do they show up together? Well, they, uh, of course, show up in the uh, in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. where there was a, a, a death, uh, not a physical death. The physical de- physical death came later, but for Adam and Eve, there was a, a death. In other words, there was there was a separation of fellowship uh, between uh, Adam and Eve and God, and that's where the enemy always works. He's he's working to bring division. His goal is always, you know, steal, kill, and destroy, divide and conquer. And if he can cut us off in our in our thinking, in our in our in our soul from this intimacy with God, then we are really become a victim of his. Yes, and exactly right. And so, where do you suppose, like, if you would think of this body of death as an operating system or operating software, where do you suppose the devil would download that software in Adam and Eve in their big toe or in their soul? Well, the soul would be a better place, wouldn't you think? Because that's the decision-making center. That's where you think, where you feel, where you navigate through life. And so he was corrupting their souls with his new software. And so, you know, so this body, Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's asking the question. Then he answers his question uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He answers his own question, and he says, I thank God, through Jesus Christ, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, some versions of the Bible have changed this around a little bit. I recommend you go back to a version that keeps all the words. Anyway, so read it again. Say it again. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Well, when is now? Right now, there's no condemnation to who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's people who are saved, people who have been redeemed, who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who believe his blood has uh, bought and paid for their salvation and and given them freedom and forgiveness from their sins. Um, So, so that's, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But once you're in Christ Jesus, there is now a caveat or a, an option. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who what? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In Galatians, God says, don't walk according to the flesh. Don't, you know, you'll fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So going back to flesh, we go back to the definition, what is flesh? Well, there's a lot of people who think the body is bad and evil and corrupt and, and depraved and full of bad things. But the body is actually very fearfully and wonderfully made. And the Bible says it's fearfully and wonderfully made, made in the image of God. It is very, very important that you understand the basic principles of identity here. Who are you and who is God? Because if you don't know who you are, the devil is going to try to tell you who you are. And he will not tell you the truth. You are made in the image of God, created by God, to love what God loves and hate what God hates. God is love. God loves justice, truth, mercy, righteousness, peace, purity, holiness, goodness. He hates sin 
and he hates injustice. And that's why you get mad, because you're like God, not like the devil. You can, you can take that anger and act like the devil, but we are sensitive to injustice. And this is what happens when something isn't right or fair. What do you say? You say, that's wrong, and I'm mad. And so you're judging something, and then your next, your next thought is to try to fix it. And so we take that energy that comes through that anger to try to fix situations. But going back to Paul, so we're, our flesh is fearfully and wonder, wonderfully made. We're made in the image of God. Then he, Paul also says, in my flesh dwells, dwells no good thing. He's not saying there's, something, there's not something in there that's, that's, not, that's it's good. There's, there might be something there that's not good dwelling in me, but that doesn't make me bad. It makes that thing bad, and it needs to get out. I need to be delivered. I know some of you tonight, this may be great hope for you because you have stuff going on inside of you that you cannot manage. You're trying to quit what you can't stop. I don't care if it's smoking cigarettes. I don't care if it's drinking booze. I don't care if it's, it's delving into pornography. I don't, those are part of the programming that the enemy has used to control you, discourage you, and try to destroy you. And let's go back to Paul for a second. He, he says, flesh is the body. That's like the hardware that carries the soul, which is the software. The soul is made up of three parts. There's more than three, but we'll just keep it simple. The mind, the will, and the emotions. They're all part of the soul. They're not part of the spirit. Okay, the spirit is different than the soul. We'll get to the spirit in a second. With your mind, you think. You make decisions with your mind. You think. You say, I think. And by very virtue of saying, I think, you're saying, I think, which means I'm not sure. I think it's okay. I think it's tomorrow. That's doubt. But if you make that decision with your heart, you're going to say something like, I feel. I feel nervous, worried, anxious, a little more apprehensive. So you have fear in the heart. And your will, which is supposed to make the decision, but the problem is you don't always even agree with yourself. You don't always 100% agree with what you're, you say, I think I should go, but I don't feel like it. Your will says, well, okay, I'm confused. And so you have doubt in your head fear in your heart, confusion in your will. These are three of the chief counselors from where? Well, they're uh, three of the chief counselors from hell, from the influence of Satan. And, and many, many people live under the counsel, many Christians live uh, ignorantly, really, under the counsel of the enemy. Oh, you've got that right, man. They live under the counsel of the enemy, and the enemy even impersonates God to them. He impersonates them to themselves so that even the thoughts they think they're, thought, they're thinking, they never consider them as temptations. They think of them as their own thoughts. And so they embrace them. Not every thought you think you thought are thoughts you thought. Some of the thoughts you think you thought are thoughts. The enemy wants you to think you thought so he can get you to think you thought them so that he can use them to get an agreement out of you with his wiles and with his ways. Yeah, uh, what you know, you can always do the uh, thought test. It's it's a very good thing. Something that's just, just a little key. The things that are in your in your mind, things that you're maybe thinking right now, uh, things that you may be thinking before you go to bed, things that you may be thinking when you get up in the morning or when you're at work. Examine where those thoughts come from. You can say, well, it's just me. Well, not necessarily just you, but there are two sources. There are two spiritual sources in the world. There are kingdoms, yeah, sources or kingdoms. And, and it's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, the fallen one. So the thoughts are going to come from one of these 
two sources, either from God or from Satan. And and so Satan can make it appear that his thoughts are coming from the thoughts are coming from God. And uh, and then Satan can lie to you and say that uh, something you're thinking is is not from God, from it's, it's from him. So there's confusion. Right. Now, how do we clarify this, Margie? What, give us some suggestions here. Okay. Well, it's kind of simple if you want it to be simple. Number one, first of all, get rid of the third kingdom. The third kingdom of me, self, myself, or my flesh. The church says, well, you know, you need more self-control. It's just you. It's just me. It's just my flesh. How many times have you heard yourself say that or, or that's coming? No. Do you really want to do that? Maybe at the time you did because you were deceived. You thought, oh, this would be fun, whatever, whatever. But when you look back on it, it's not, it's not what you really wanted to do. So it's like Paul. I'm doing things I don't want to do. So Paul says, there's now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh. In other words, you cannot use doubt, fear, and confusion. What are the chances they're going to give you good directions on how to get to heaven and serve God? Zero. It's bad. It, it, it's, it's virused uh, software. It's, it's corrupted software. You cannot use it. And God couldn't take your soul out of you when you got, got, you got saved because you'd have died. So he said, no, we're just going to switch over to spirit software now. Because Paul says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh. In other words, if you're saved and you're still using your soul to make decisions and to follow God, you're going to be condemned all the time. Guilt is always going to say to you, you should have. It's your fault. What's wrong with you? You're stupid. Nobody likes you. Blah, 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 blah. And we can go into all how he programs us maybe next time. But um, So going into the spirit, now what, what are we talking about? What are we talking We're talking two spirits. God's Holy Spirit, and the spirit of a man. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-11 says, For what man knows the things of a man, except the spirit of the man, which is in him. And then it says, For God has um, you know, given us those things. He, he, he says, For what man knows the things of a man, except the spirit of the man that was in him. But God has revealed those things to us by his spirit that we might know. So God's Holy Spirit confirms, verifies, downloads, to our spirit, our spirit's like the receptor site for the download of that revelation, revelation of God. So when in the spirit of a man, by the way, in Proverbs is called a candle. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord searching searching only in the room of the heart. And so when you get saved, the candle gets lit. Before that, you're, you're carrying a candle, but it's not lit, so the candle's not doing any good. But once you get saved, the spirit of God takes your little candle, takes you on a tour of your life to show you where the lies, the programming, the accusations, the the, 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 the things that Satan has tried to do to mess you up, to persuade you, to deceive you. And so it becomes a process of sanctification. Uh, so as you walk in the Spirit, here's how you can tell. If you hear your mouth say, I feel, you're using your soul. If you hear your mouth say, I think, you're using your soul. If you hear your mouth say, I know, you're using your spirit. Now I know regular language, you say, oh, that's just semantics. Well, just, just pay attention. You know, I don't have to know everything. The spirit of a man is, is regarding to know the things of my spirit. I don't have to know how many leaves are on that tree outside my window. That's not things relevant to me. So it doesn't mean I have to know everything. It means I am paying attention to the Holy Spirit who knows everything. And he's going to let me know what I need to know about who I am. So you can know that you know what you know. Because if you don't know that you know what you know, you won't know it. If you just know Jesus loves you and you don't know that you know it, You'll never act on it. You'll never have the authority to do anything with it. You have to be confident in the authority, and the Word of God is that authority. And this, um, 
this deep knowing, um, that's what really gives us our confidence. And as some of you may be listening when uh, uh, earlier when we were talking about when I uh, God called uh, me to and uh, Margie and I to go to the Bible school. There was a knowing there because it was a word from God to our spirit. And even though that circumstances said this does not make any sense at all, uh, that knowing was there, and that knowing that you're in the will of God, knowing what the truth is, will keep you going and be able to stand against the temptations to uh, discourage you or defeat you in one way or another. Exactly. And, you know, if we would have went with what it looked like back in those days, adding up the list, having no money, reason would have said, this is unreasonable, this is ridiculous. Um, responsibility would have said, this is not, you're not being very responsible. Religion would have said, you know, you're not doing it right. The devil is filled with arguments, and this, he creates a debate in your soul that he focuses against your spirit to try to talk you out of doing what you already know you're supposed to do according to what God wants you to do. And then we, become, we come to that place of confusion and condemnation. Confusion and condemnation is not the place Jesus said we're to live. He says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. He says, he never said, he never even used the word thinking and feeling. He only used the word reasoning when he was scolding his disciples. And he said, why are you reasoning in your heart because you forgot to take bread? Don't you remember yesterday when I fed the 5,000? He was talking about the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and they misunderstood him because they were reasoning. So he was telling them, you can't use your logic, your reasoning to know the will of God. And sometimes I make a, a study of it uh, in the Gospels and the, the words of Jesus and how many times he said no. He said we speak that we do know and we testify that we have seen. And John in the epistles, in, in first, the epistle of First John, look at how many times there we know we have eternal life. We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Now I want to... Uh, uh, Wait a second. Jesus also said, you know where I'm going. He knew he knew the will of the Father, so so when when you know you know who you really are, your identity, as you're a child of God, created in the likeness and image of God, and and then and then you know even though you had fallen and and gotten away and gotten all messed up, He recreates us, renews us into His uh, uh, image again, renews that image, cleans us up, polishes us off washes us off and, and gets us gets us into the, the image of who we're, we're, we're supposed to be. And when we're in that, when we know our identity, who we really are and who God really is, yeah. and, and, and that doesn't just come instantly. Uh, that comes by revelation. It comes by study of the Word of God. Uh, and and he, he will show you that, and then, then you can live with that great uh, confidence. Well, I think, you know, one of the things, think, I don't even like to use the word think myself, if you look at the words that are missing in the Gospels, that, that tells you about as much as what words are there. Jesus never used words like think and feel. He never said to the guys, okay, guys, how do you, you feel about what happened yesterday, you know, on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration? What do you think is going to happen tomorrow or, you know, what should we do? It, you know, he didn't say, a lot of times in our, in our Western mindset, we're always wanting to figure things out. Doesn't mean that we, you know, God wants us to have understanding, but it's not by reasoning. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul uh, or Jesus told the uh, scribes and Pharisees, "says you you reason. Why do you reason in your heart?" They were reasoning in their hearts, uh, 
within the framework of their traditions and rules and so forth, and they were drawing completely wrong conclusions absolutely. and taking completely wrong actions. And that's absolutely correct. And so they, you know, and, and a couple of other words Jesus never used were, believe it or not, responsibility is not in the Bible. That word responsibility, I believe, is a human word created by the devil to tag everybody with guilt. You should have. It's your responsibility. The word the Bible uses, I mean, maybe some of the modern versions use the word responsibility. I, again, I stick with the King James, the old King James, the new King James. Those are my, my versions. But um, the word of God uses the word faithful and faithfulness. And we are called to be faithful and to trust in the faithfulness of God. And that word works way better because, you know what, that tells me that the Holy Spirit is faithful to complete the work that he's begun in me. It's not my deal. It's not my job. It's not up to me. And and so Jesus doesn't come around when the, the disciples were messing up and they did that quite a bit. He never, you know, scolded them. He said, you need, what he said was, you know, when the rich young ruler came up to him uh, and he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then we get into all the work stuff, doing to be. Uh, and, of course, you know, even in modern days, you don't do something to inherit. You be something to inherit. And, and Jesus said, there's none good but one, and that is God. So if God, Jesus is telling us there's no way you're going to be good, then why would he make that the requirement to get to heaven? I want to uh, talk about a three-letter word, and that word is try. Now, I've heard in... in Perhaps you that are listening here have heard that many times in church about trying. Try to do this, try to do that. And even, even you know, motivational books talk about, you know, well, what really matters in life is that you try. You try your best, you do your best. How does, Margie, I'm going to have you address this, how does this trying work out in, in terms of our life uh, in Christ and, and doing what uh, he wants us to do? Well, Jesus never said, okay, guys, I'm going to have a now and here a couple of final words. I want you to try to heal the sick. I want you to try to cast out devils. I mean, even the sound of it sounds stupid. He just said, do it. Go do it. He didn't say, be good. Okay, guys, I'm going to have a now. Just make sure you be good. Just, you know, obviously the Bible talks about being obedient. Um, it talks about uh, Satan tries to make everything that God has and says he tweaks it. He makes a counterfeit that's very close to the real. And then he tries to feed us the counterfeit, which is deadly. Um, it's, it's, it's not about doing. It's about being. It's about abiding. Uh, Jesus' gospel is simply this. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So the, the fruit of he says, Jesus says, by their fruits you shall know them. This is how you're going to test everything. By its fruits. Does what you're doing right now create peace or does it create stress? Does it create fear? Does it create uh, love? The, the kingdom of God will bring forth the fruits. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is known by the fruit it brings. It brings peace and love. It brings righteousness, truth, justice, the love of justice. It brings forgiveness. It gives us the strength to, to do things the way the Holy Spirit wants it, wants it done. Now the devil will take and words from the gospel and he will twist them around and counterfeit them. And he'll make it sound something like this. Stop sinning. Try harder. Be good. Get it right. Do it over. Measure up. And if you're in treatment, stay sober. 
It's up to you. You need to figure it out. You need to take responsibility. What's wrong with you? You should know this by now. And all of that reduces down to frustration and despair and futility. And finally, you say, you know, I can't be that good. I guess I'm just going to quit. I'm going to give it up. And so, so simple things to say, who's talking to me? Are you from heaven or hell? Where are you from? Demand that they tell you. And you'll realize that not every thought you think you thought or thoughts you thought, you realize that not every feeling you... See, we think I am, and whatever you put behind the I am, by the way, becomes what you're agreeing with. I am depressed. I am no good. I am never going to make it. I am sad. You're saying, I agree. I'm sad. I agree. I'm when you make an agreement with the lie, you become the servant of the lie. Jesus said, he who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. But the root of the sin is the lie. The sin is the fruit. The lie is the root. So when you're believing things and, and, and you're sinning, for example, and you want to quit that sin, you've got to get to the root of the lie. We'll be talking about all of these things a lot more in the days ahead. But um, going back to the things Jesus didn't say, you know, he said, rest in me, come unto me. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, if you think about it, close your eyes and, and make a tree in your head or make it with your hands. One's the vine, the branch. The branch is connected into the vine, and as it's connected, it receives its life from the vine. And when Jesus Christ is the vine and you're the branch, his life is flowing through your life. And there's no way. I mean, you're going to, there's no way you can't be what he, what he is, what he wants you to be. Because his fruit, his life, his strength is flowing, flowing through your life. And in, as you stay connected and in relationship with him, out of that relationship will come the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy. God is not about works. He's about fruits. Jesus uh, is about relationship. Uh, religion is about um, works. works, religion. Um, and so the whole deal is that um, Jesus said, come to me. Uh, he, when he sent out the uh, apostles, he said, first of all, he said that he chose them. He chose the twelve. Peter, James, John, and all the rest, he chose them, first of all, that they would be with him, and then that he would send them out to preach and cast out devils and heal the sick and so forth. The first qualification there, he says, he chose them to be with him. And that's the beauty of this, is that when we come into a right relationship with Jesus, there's a oneness with Christ. As Marty said, we become a, a branch of the true vine. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. And you are the branches, and so there's it's it's a it's a living relationship, and you don't see a tree, an apple tree out there, um, straining and grunting and groaning to try to produce apples. An apple tree just produces fruit; it just keeps its root in the ground and uh, roots in the ground and, and absorbs the, the leaves absorb the sunshine, the the roots absorb the water and the minerals and so forth, and naturally, naturally the fruit comes. And so it's not a matter of, there's an old song that says it's not in trying, but in trusting that we find the strength of the Lord. Yeah, I've actually got a CD out there called Trying is Dying, and um, it, it wears you out. It takes away your health. It discourages you. Resting and abiding and allowing the Holy Spirit who lives in us to do the work of God, because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And you know what? If you get this right, it all fits. 
if you get some pieces missing, it doesn't work. And so we're here to not say that we have all the answers. We're, we're learning too. But even as we kind of summarize and wrap it up a little bit, to think our journey started out with religion. Then God instructed us in what was going on in the church, the control, the witchcraft, giving us authority, giving us power to address these issues. And all the time the Holy Spirit is teaching us, teaching us, teaching us on um, what's the truth. And uh, did you want to say something? Yeah. You know, we go from religion to relationship to rest. And God wants us in the place of rest. And it's not that we're lazy. You know, we just, oh, we just fall asleep on the job. That's not it. But the resting is that we're, we're living in the strength of the Lord. It's not our strength. It's not, Paul said, it's not I, but Christ who lives in me. So it's that life of Jesus coming out of us through us that will produce that fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, all that. That's the fruit. It's not the fruit of me trying harder. It's the result of the Spirit of God working through me. And the Spirit of God abiding in us. In it, the Bible says, in Him, I live and move and have my being. And if you move into that spiritual place, you're going to have a whole lot more hope, strength, energy, love, life, uh, and, and your life is just going to be what you want it to be in Christ. But, you know, a couple more things as we're kind of getting close to wrapping up here. Um, next, next time, I think we want to talk about how the devil programs us. And, of course, we're just interested in hearing from you as well. So if you can um, uh, go to the website, you know, there's an email address there, uh, info at liferecovery.com. You can send us your questions or um, next time you can just call us live too. So Lord willing, we'll have the microphones and all the connections that we need. Um, hopefully this has been a, a help to you. But we want to talk about next time how the devil programs us. I think once we understand these things and you know, even more of the subjects that we have wanted to talk about that we will be talking about, like generational curses. Um, uh, you know, we talked a little bit tonight about can a Christian have a demon? Um, you know, uh, is there a generational curse on me? What about my children? Why can't I sleep? Why am I so depressed? Um, is it too late for me to find love? What about my marriage? I can't trust God. Who can I trust? And my favorite, why do bad things happen to good people? That is one of the, the deepest, most difficult uh, of all the questions. And, you know, actually, I'll just say this real quick, and then, of course, you can say something, honey. Of course, you can say something. Um, is that I've, I've written several blogs on this subject of uh, when life's not fair and uh, why bad things happen to good people. If you go to the website, bottom of the page, you'll see a couple of those blogs. It's such, it's such a huge subject. There are so many dimensions and aspects to this. That, But it's very important that you understand uh, this whole thing of the war between God and Satan and how that the trials that you're going through are not your problem. They are God's problem. God is the one who's being tested here. He is the one who must be vindicated. He will be vindicated through his ability to keep you because the devil is challenging God's workmanship in you. So don't get so uptight. Rest in the Lord, as Jerry's telling us, and let the Holy Spirit get you through. There's one way through every test, and Jesus is that way. All the rest of it is fear and panic. Don't push the panic button. Just abide to say, Lord, this is your problem. You get me through this. I'm your workmanship. Vindicate yourself. Um, protect me. 
the devil has no right to do this to me. I cancel out all agreements with him. We'll get all to that stuff more in depth in the in the weeks to come. And uh, now would be a good time as maybe uh, some of these issues that we've discussed or mentioned, um, you know, have triggered something with, with you that uh, while, you're, while it's fresh in your mind, why don't you go ahead and I'll just uh, email uh, those uh, questions to us maybe at this evening or in the morning. You, you know, while it's there, you don't want to forget about it, and then we can address those in upcoming broadcasts. Well, my my website is info at liferecovery.com. Info at liferecovery.com. What's yours, Jerry? To uh, Gerald Cole at uh, yahoo.com. J-A-R-R-O-L-C-O-L-E at yahoo.com. And we didn't really tell him a little bit or too much at all about True Light Church and or about um, life recovery. I'll tell him about life recovery. You tell him about True Light Church, and we got a few minutes. You go first. Okay. Well, True Light Church, uh, we just uh, just started uh, a little over two years ago. It's a, a, a congregation of, of, of uh, believers and very discipleship-oriented, um, training people to be disciples. We're involved a lot in overseas missions and uh, in various uh, evangelism projects uh, from individual uh, work, one-on-one ministry to uh, meeting with large uh, groups of people and events and, and around the United States. So, and uh, we uh, we support uh, ministries in uh, several nations of the world. And uh, you know, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, ministry that that we have going there. And so, um, pray for pray for us if you'd like. Well, hey, you know, True Light Church is also um, True Light Church MN dot org is the website. True. T-R-U-E, light, L-I-G-H-T, church, M-N for Minnesota, dot org, if you want to check us out. But the thing is, you know, a lot of churches do all those things. But one of the things that we are really endeavoring to do, and this is our heart, and this is why True, True Light is a, is a free church. It's not based in any um, kind of other, on, on any other umbrellas or foundations or anything. But what we want to do is is... Uh, demonstrate the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and give people, disciple people like Jerry said, and do the works of Jesus and teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of grace, not of works. And, and we'll get into that grace, guilt, gospel stuff later. We can only do so much at one time. But, you know, that's, that's too light church. Oh, and life recovery is liferecovery.com and life recovery is a teaching prayer counseling ministry i do counseling one-on-one counseling i do it through skype uh, phones and in person i have an office in the cities Um, you can check the website get all that stuff that you want to know about there and we do deliverance inner healing um and the phone number for that office is seven six seven eight five four two three four seven Six three seven eight five four two three four, and that you can use that number if you want to set up an appointment, uh, or you know even if you have other questions that are relevant to what we're doing here. Otherwise, go ahead and give us an email. Um, that again is info at liferecovery.com. Um, we are looking forward to talking to you, and really, I think this show is going to take off when you start calling and 
and giving us your hard questions or even we are not opposed to just doing ministry right on the radio. Why not? I mean, you might be a help to other people around the world who are having a similar situation. And believe you me, there's a lot of complications out there that, um, that you know, uh, the, the Lord, the truth will set you free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's kind of the formula that we use for both deliverance and inner healing. And, of course, our heart uh, is to be of, of help to you however we can. Whatever God has taught us, you know, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And that's what uh, Rescue Radio is all about. Can't wait to talk to us next week. You can go to the website and buy up some of the stuff on there. There's a whole lot of information, teaching, instruction, manuals, videos. Um, you can actually watch for free. I, I really encourage you to go to the website and go to the YouTube YouTube video and watch Recovering Your Life. It's 20 minutes diagram, kind of diagramming out spiritual warfare, generational curses, uh, inner he- healing, multiple personality. It's a diagram the Lord gave me um, way back in the beginning. And so you're more than welcome to check that out. And if you have any other questions, of course, you can let us know. Um, Jerry, is there anything else? I'm sure there's more we could say, but what do you want to say? Well, we've just kind of uh, cracked the door open a little bit uh with yeah. this first broadcast, but there are so many things um, that we want to, to share. And uh, so we just uh, pray God's very best for you, uh, that you just look to Jesus, that you just trust him in everything. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again uh, next week. Yeah, we, we, we look forward to And just remember, next week we're going to be talking about um, the snake pit and programming, how the devil programs us from birth and how it comes to the generational bloodlines. Um, again, and we're open to your questions at all times. So is there anything else that we've missed? All right, well, then we're going to sign off for tonight, and the Lord bless you. And I tell you what, just read your Bibles. Take your, take your religious glasses off and read it the way it's been written. Amen. Good night. The truth will set you free. Rescue Radio, because there's a war for your soul.